Well, listeners, it's been a year. We've driven along haunted roads and taken you to fairy circles in the woods. We've journeyed to a Hessian village to sing carols to spirits and watch the dancing lights in the tree line, only to come back home again. We've challenged our beliefs, delved into high strangeness, and found other curious minds at a haunted ski resort. But what does it all mean? Today, we'll be retracing our steps and asking ourselves where the trail points to from here. Join us for a review of Year One. What you seek is seeking you. And just a quick addendum for our listeners to remind all of you that any statements we make are solely our opinions, especially when we're talking about other folks. We always encourage you to do your own research. Stay safe, everyone. Let's go on an adventure. holidays, everybody, and welcome back to Haunt and Gather, a paranormal podcast exploring the new American folklore in the great outdoors. I'm Jack. And I'm Ben. Merry Christmas, folks. We made it. We did one year, our first full year as a podcast. Our first full year. This is year one. Uh, We're going to be talking today about everything that has been both this year and everything before then, because we did have uh, sort of the tail end of 2022 as well. Right. So during the episode today, besides our our gather, where we're going to go through some of our independent leads and some of our plans, we're going to tell you about what we want to do within the next year for the podcast. We're going to review our investigation so far, what we have in the future. The the theme, though, the, the one word to encapsulate what we're going to be seeing a lot of, and it is a bit of a buzzword, liminality. Liminality is something that has come into play with a lot of the paranormal as we've experienced it, how people are currently talking about it and consuming information on it. Uh, we actually had uh, just last night uh, a bit of a experiment with liminality and the paranormal, Randonautica. Uh, it, it's, it's a fun app that we used last night. Uh, Jack, Jack came up for uh, kind of a day of recording. So he was up here Friday night. Uh, we're, we're by Saratoga, so around Christmas time, there's a big nightlife in, in Saratoga. So it was it was really cool. You know, started out with uh, how all good nights start, beer and pizza. And from there, we dove in and got to walk around what's really this beautiful New York Christmas town. The light displays yeah. are wonderful. The atmosphere is nice. I wish there was snow. Snow would have really made it perfect. Yeah, we started at it, uh, Walt. It's the Walt Cafe in the Whitman Brewing Brewery. Company. Yep. It might be the Walt Brewing Company. No, I think it's Walt. It's Walt Cafe, yeah. the Whitman Brewing Company, and they they do amazing, amazing just Detroit style pizzas. Their beer is fantastic in the morning. They do these homemade pop tarts that are amazing. So once we had that out of the way and we we planned everything we were going to be recording today. Just as something, I think I've mentioned it too during the gathers before. We've talked about it a couple of times. I've been interested in this app called Randonautica. Uh, it claims 
uh, it makes some big claims. So the, the concept, and, and before we get into how much we buy into it, here's what they say it is. Uh, allegedly, it uses a quantum algorithm uh, in order to determine a perfectly random position uh, using a smattering of randomly selected points. It then calculates either the highest density or the lowest probability of density in the points. So I thought that was a really cool part. It goes after what it considers or calls anomalies, which is the probability that you're going to find something interesting or weird. And yes. you can either go for a spot that is littered with them, or it will let you pick a spot that's completely devoid of them. And there's also flower power, which does the flower of life array, which is those circles, like a, like I think it's like six or seven circles, yeah. and it, you do circles around that. It, it's, a, it's a cute name, but what they really mean is like a heat map. Yeah, so what, so what this calculation does is it uses a mystical, an intentionally mystical smattering of circles to calculate the points within, and then kind of calculates those points together. It's a lot of technobabble. Yes. Well, if I have to break down, because I, I know this sounds absolutely insane. They basically, the app says we use a quantum computer. At least at one point, there was the University of Australia had was loaning a, their quantum computer to for, this for the algorithm. The, the specifically, apparently, the university, from what I have heard, puts out a random number as a almost like a public service. Yeah. Right. There is a, it puts out a number and then they use that number for their algorithm. But basically, uh, this, <laughs> we're losing them, is there is a <laughs> random number. Uh, a lot of techno babble happens to make a very random number. Their argument is if you put your intention out there into the universe while it makes its random number, you will influence where it's going to send you and you're going to find what you're looking for. And it's based in part of like a lot of when we get into quantum mechanics, the whole idea that your observation of something can affect how measurable it is. And that can also change the, the position of where something may be. Uh, so before we really dig into reservations or our thoughts on it, it does touch on a, something that we do believe in, which is, your intent or what you kind of think into the ether can have an impact on what it is you find when you set out to... Right, and it's it's not in a sort of a manifestation kind of way. I'm putting out there that I'm going to be rich and healthy and successful, and then the it, universe will give it back yeah, to me because exactly. the universe cares. I'm not manifesting the winning lottery numbers. It seems like there is something about intent, though, that lets you walk into some strange places. Right, particularly with high strangeness. And something that we are going to be getting to which is our theory kind of of how the weird works random chance and the exploitation of random chance seems to have a very direct impact on when stuff gets weird observably weird and for that reason brandonautica for as hokey as it is i'm like hey it does kind of play into kind of our theories where they are right now it it hits just enough of the right notes for what we're pursuing as far as research or theory crafting that I mean, we have to try it. So we have this app. I paid uh, like three bucks for a month for a monthly subscription. I paid an extra dollar to update us to if it picks a random location on a body of water, it reshuffles. I paid a little bit extra for this. I paid a little bit extra for that. So it, it the, would be fun to go on a random trip into the Caribbean Sea, though. Yeah, they actually do make a joke. They're like, if you're looking for Atlantis on Randonautica, be sure to turn this off. But <laughs> uh, we paid I paid about seven dollars um, and we started in a parking garage. 
which really felt appropriate enough for that. Uh, you know, it's kind of a liminal space. Yeah, God, we're going to be using that word a lot. We apologize yeah. in advance. We're going to have to then explain going forward what that means to listeners. And if it if it continues on long enough, we'll we'll do a liminal count per episode. Oh no! Oh, oh no! I'm throwing it out there. That's holding us accountable. Yeah, and, and again, defining terms, folks. Uh, liminal is it's something that is in between transitory in the way that we're using it. The the actual definition is a little bit different, but when we're talking specifically about the metaphysical or the modern day pop culture buzzword of it, when we say liminal, we're referring to something that is easily overlooked. It is intentionally overlooked. It is an in-between or a transitory place or time. Uh, it's an in-between. Hotels, hallways, um, subway stations even. New Year's Eve. Right. Could be considered liminal places or in the case of New Year's Eve times. So... One one thing that we're going to come back to a lot is why that might be significant and how that's played on our investigation so far. But we're, we're in this parking garage. We have this app. Our intention was mysterious stranger. Yeah, mystical stranger. Mystical stranger. Yes. Mystical stranger. Yes. And so it gave it picked a location out of a three-mile radius, a place that was three-quarters of a mile away. Yep, so very walkable. It has us walk down uh, Broadway, which is the spot with all the bars and the shops. Uh, then we take a left into Congress Park. So there's one important layer, Ben, that I think that you, you did leave out. We didn't just follow the GPS. Oh, you're right. We paired it with an app called Crow's Flight. I love Crow's Flight. Which just gives you kind of a compass and points you as the crow flies straight to your destination. So Crow's Flight um, is going to come up at least in one other episode we have planned at this point in time. I love it as a tool because uh, you've, you've, and I've used it, you've been at its mercy before when we did a, a New York City trip some years ago. I love the idea. If I'm seeking out a bookstore or a restaurant or something, put the address in. And instead of taking a left here and a right here, it just points like a compass to the place you're going, and it says how many how many miles or kilometers it is away. And the, the cool thing about that is it takes you off the beaten path, and it will motivate you to take routes that you may not have considered before. And that could lead you to finding some really cool things, or we hoped, our mystical stranger. It's always taken us off the beaten path, and we found some really cool stuff. So what I did is I used Randonautica to generate this point that was three quarters of a mile away. It then lets you jump into Google Maps right from there or Apple Maps, whichever you prefer. So we had a street address. I put the street address into Crow's Flight and it just pointed, hey, it's that way. It's that way. And that already put us in some, some interesting routes. So we went through Congress Park, which maybe wasn't the safest at night. No, I mean, maybe not ultimately the best of choices. It worked out okay. Yeah, yeah. There was a there's a there's a Christmas tree, a lit Christmas tree floating in this like this kind of like Parthenon looking gazebo out in the middle of a pond. So and, naturally, we're drawn to that. Yeah, we're you know moths moths to a flame, and you know then there's someone shambling around there, and you know how it works. You you get to the the place that looks significant, and then suddenly there's a boss meter on the bottom of the screen, and you got to fight, and it's. <laughs> Uh, so why are the ducks suddenly singing Latin? <laughs> <laughs> so, so we, uh, took a different route and we ended up, I'll just say there, there is a, there's a street in Saratoga. You'll know it if you see it. It's towards the tracks where my God, every house they've got 
money, and I have to remind myself, single families live in these houses. Yes. Uh, or are desperately trying to sell them. So It was impressive. It was opulent. It was pretty nice. We ended up in a lane that was... It was so weird. Right behind one of these nice streets. It was an alleyway lane that cuts between these really nice streets, and it has houses on either side. And I... I don't know, man. It was... All of these houses, they didn't really fit. First, we passed places that had closes, which in any New York town, a close is a very rare structure. The fact that you have a little alleyway courtyard around which buildings are situated. to your garage. And, and, there's, and there's a Christmas wreath solitarily lit hanging from it. Then we passed this pleasant house with a red door and a white wreath and, and again strangely lit and, and you're you're struck with this feeling of people live here people make memories here i don't see a soul no and it was completely deserted the streets unlit then you get to these old buildings as you get in deeper and they were tiny it's some neil gaiman you walk into like the the strange part of the city and you make a left and you're in a new part of your town that's not your town it it almost was like it's where the servants used to live if you didn't want them living in the same building as you. And, but then they built another back street that connects all of these. You have places that were clearly once barns a hundred years ago. Oh, yeah. But and now they're garages they're or houses. Out, they're out on the sidewalk, too. So there's parts where the sidewalk stops because they had to build it around these houses that were not built aligning to a street plan. Mind you, this is a single lane road that, like, a car will fit down. Yeah, if they drive slowly. And... So we're on either side of us are some of them are abandoned. Some, some of them are, are clearly inhabited. Some of them are beautiful. Oh, gorgeous old buildings. And 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 you can see two streets away from you in either direction. You can see Christmas lights. You can see civilization. But like not here. It felt almost like you're you're in a darkened building and you can see people outside and they can't see you. It was it was a very strange feeling and then you made a note of a building. Yeah, so we walked by one particular very small, clearly was like a formerly a one-room house. And I look over to Ben and I go, this one looks so much older than all of the ones around it. That's crazy. And, you know, we're looking and we're kind of admiring and checking out this old structure. And that's when we walk past it and turn back around to look at the back. And that's when we see, written in blue on the side of the building... Very stylized graffiti. It just says the word, knowledge. And man, that was trippy. That was that was very strange. And also, one of the only lights in the area is shining on the word. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I, I, have, a, I have a photograph of it. I'll put it on our, our Instagram and uh, just our social media in general. But, oh goodness, that was, that was something else. And so... We, we were pretty close by that point in time. We were within, I think, a thousand feet of if, where we needed to get to. If the journey matters, right? If it's about the journey, which they stress. Yep. Which, again, of course they will. I did make that crack when we when we kind of set off. That I'm like, oh man, if we're going to meet this mystical stranger, it's going to be within the first half to two thirds. So, uh, ironically enough, there was a rabbit that we had to follow later on. And then there was a very large cat. And... Yeah, that cat was huge. It was it was a it was a mystical time for sure, and uh, maybe many mystical strangers along the way. But the fact that what we really always seek is knowledge that was that was weird. It yeah. was a very strange. That was the one piece of graffiti I saw in that lane. It it felt like the, it really was. Yeah, that. What was that? 
Oh man, I didn't put two and two together. That was actually the it's only the piece of only graffiti thing. on that entire street, that weird freaking street. On that weird building in the middle of that weird lane. So that was a great experience. And here's the thing, folks, is we probably would have found that if we went by day, right? I do not think that there was any paranormal significant happening. And it doesn't claim to either, right? The idea no. behind this isn't that we'd actually pass into Narnia. It, the idea is that, hey, when you walk off the beaten path using random chance, odds are higher you're going to see things that you don't typically see. And the intention, to a degree at least, is priming you for what you're looking for. Is even at the most skeptical, it's still a lot of fun. And how do we know? There's a book, uh, Micro Adventures. That's right. My, yeah, I think I, yeah, I still have that in my library. Yep. So, so Micro Adventures is this really great book where this professional uh, adventurer based in the UK is like, hey, you normies can also have adventures in your own neighborhood. And he talks about... Oh, the, the circumference. The circumference. Choose a circumference, draw, draw it around your home, you know, three miles out, a three-mile circle, a two-mile circle, one-mile circle, and walk it. Now, right. they have right to roam there, so you can kind of do that in a way you can't So America. jealous. But <laughs> such a grudge. So the idea is he's like, you're going to feel like you are in a completely new neighborhood because you're walking at it from a perspective you don't, and you're going to go into areas that aren't in your routines. Which is pretty damn cool. It's really cool, and it's most mundane. It will feel magical. And also, if you are open to the idea of walking in between and walking in unlikely areas can increase the odds of strangeness, then this is how you do it. So I had a lot of fun with that. We're going to do a more rural adventure later today using Randonautica. Um, but I just wanted to kind of as a cold open tell tell you folks about that because that was an interesting kind of Christmas town adventure where we where we found knowledge and we found our a wise man it was a, it was a cat it was so folks uh let's go to the gather all right so as far as leads we both actually came in to our beer and pizza meeting last night with a handful a piece but uh, if you don't mind, Ben, I'll open up with what I've been chasing. Okay. So the first one, we've mentioned it before, but I'm really solidifying plans to go out and check it out in the springtime. But that would be the old abandoned town of Barra Hack, also known as the Village of Voices in Connecticut. That one should just be a good, good outdoor romp through what used to be that village. I'd like to do maybe some throughout the year visits or check-ins to see if maybe it is a residual haunting you know, the kind of a playback. Is there something intelligent there? Day or night, does that make a difference? But I feel like that's a very good localized kind of control group to see if there's phenomena to be recorded there. Sweet. That might be one that you're going to want to come back to semi-regularly also. Yes. That that might be a bit of a, a of a longer yeah. operation. That That's my leave the little experiment running and checking on it. Yeah. Exactly. It's data gathering. Okay. It's safe. It's stable. It's, you know where it is. The second one... Powder Ridge, we need to get a follow-up ready there. Absolutely. I there, there was so much out there to be gleaned, and I would love some uninterrupted time of either myself, Matt, you, me, and Matt, you, and me. However that shakes out, I, I want to climb over that hill. We're going to... I want to crawl over that hill at night and see, see what pops up. 
we're we're going to get back to Powder Ridge because earlier in the year, we were both very flippant and exhausted with high strangeness as a concept. Oh, especially we were, we were done. It pushed us to almost to yeah. the point of like burnout and losing the sense of whimsy. I was open to high strangeness as a as a thing that happens. There it is a is a genre of odd stuff that happens, the lights, UFOs, things like that. I like that we came into this place. We went to Powder Ridge with a ghost story in mind. And all the phenomenon seemed to point at high strangeness more than, you know, what the look, this, this always goes towards folk observation, not explanation. Right. The, the folk explanation of the region was it's skinwalkers and a couple dead people. The observation, though, that they had was very real. I believe that what they saw happened, I think the explanation is a little bit different. And frankly, that's something that can only be unearthed through observation and investigation. And one of the biggest observations and something that rattled us is that in, in this home, you know, my wife had the hitchhiker effect happen. I've since followed up with a couple people. That was such a wild phone call. They, It, it was a very strange moment for me. And also the fact that I carefully approach these investigations with the intent that it, nothing comes home. The fact that something can happen at home more significant than what I'm experiencing because I'm at a place, that that makes us reevaluate things. I don't know that we've really... We did touch on it a little bit in our Powder Ridge episode, but that hitchhiker effect was most commonly observed from government contractors going out to Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah, that that's when I first heard about it. And it's also something where when you've heard about people like in the Air Force who claim that they come in contact with a UAP... One of those things that comes up a lot. The, the KitchenAid turned on in the kitchen back is, home. There's complaints of poltergeist activity when they get home. It, it's a basically the hitchhiker effect is the more you are in contact with the weird, the more it can spread almost like a germ throughout your life. It, throughout how significant you're tied to people or places. It's an observation and it's a theory, but when it happened, uh, when we heard that shatter and nothing shattered that we we know what could have shattered we've torn the house we've tried to replicate the sound in different rooms based on different things nothing unless there was a glass pane window hidden between the walls when this house was built that fell after you know over a quarter century <laughs> unless that was the case and the three blind mice kicked it over it the, the, there comes a point where the weird explanation is more practical than the conventional explanation. And we'll get into that too. All right. So we got Barahack, We got Powder Ridge follow-up. What else you got? So this one actually could blend a good bit of camping and homesteading because it is Ooh. at the Devil's Hopyard Campground. This is a place that is very rich in lore. In addition to you being able to camp there, you know, it's just a campground you can go out to supposedly had a lot of weird happenings we're talking dancing lights we're talking weird figures in the forest we're talking the again potentially problematic you know puritanical recountings of witches practicing witchcraft out there in the hop yard it is just one of those new england locations that seems to be a gathering place for the strange and so i think that could be a good spot for good old-fashioned high strangeness and potentially I think it could also be a good segue into digging into phenomena such as like your missing 411 and your uh, work by David Polides. Oh, jeez, yeah. Which bears its own episode in review. 
Yeah, I am. I'm not a fan. Um, no, but... Star- we started as fans. Full confession. Oh yeah, I mean, because when we first heard about this guy, we will get briefly off topic. This this gentleman has the series uh, missing four one one. The sales pitch is phenomenal. People go missing in national parks disproportionately under very strange circumstances. They're unsolved cases. They don't report missing people's uh, missing adults that way. He starts doing research. He finds more strange things. For years, he's been releasing books and being very coy, being very careful not to say what's happening. Since then, he's been like, it's aliens. Which is... But he's also... Uh, he's, disappointing. He's also a 9-11 truther. Yeah, And an anti-vaxxer. Of... Because again, he's like, if you look at the patterns, it had to be an inside job. And... It, it really turned into a case of like, don't meet your heroes. The longer he was in the spotlight. Oh boy, yeah. Kind of the... The more of a bad look it became. But one of his one of the things he's pointed out is that places that have devil in the name tend to have more high strangeness. However, he is the king of spurious correlations. He if, absolutely if, is. If there's any takeaway about David Paulides, if you look into his stuff long enough, he is the king of spurious correlations. He loves linking up correlation and causation without doing the full breadth of research on yep. it. Yep, 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 yep. But that doesn't mean that a broken clock can't be right twice a day. He could be onto something. But we can't rely on his work. We might want to do some digging of our own. Yeah, I think the most significant is why is it called the Devil's Hopyard? Bingo. You know? Yeah. So uh, uh, what else you what else you got? Because I'm looking at the list. You've got uh, one or two more things that look really interesting. So I do. I have two more things. Uh, these are all based around Connecticut. Uh, New England, listeners, is a breadbasket of weird. It's not just Connecticut, but you've got to start somewhere. So the next one is actually in East Rock State Park down by New Haven. There are some very widespread legends about a black dog that inhabits that park. And it is your old school fairy tale, like story of the Grimm. And it, it has all of the high notes. So number one, you're walking in a park and you see a big black dog. And it follows the rule of three. The first time you see it, it'll walk up to you, it'll be kind of friendly, maybe a little standoffish, that's fine, stray dog, right? You go there again, and you see it a second time. Now it's very standoffish. It'll just be watching you from a distance, feelings of being unsettled, you know, a little bit of a sense of foreboding at this point, because it's not quite behaving like... Like it did last time. Uncanny valley dog, you know? Oh, okay. Uh, Not like it's not quite a dog, but its behavior is off. Something is off. The third time, it won't approach you, but oh yeah, there's going to be some growling. There's going to be some hostility. And after that third time, you're supposed to meet with an unfortunate end. Fascinating. And that one's been circulating for well over a hundred years. I like that we're investigating that one because the lore has a built-in safety. Right. Of like, if we see it, we know we're okay. And I, and also I still have two more strikes. Yep. There is a chance someday I get lost on a road and end up at this place again. And I'm still only on strike You can see two. it a second time. I love that. And just, if you see it twice, just ne- never go back there. I just never go back. That I, I like that. And I wish everything else came with one of those. I know, right? Whiskey Hollow. <laughs> you oh, know what I mean? Yeah, that one doesn't have rules of much of anything. We had to cut from... ourselves off. Oh, that one, I honestly i still feel the urge to go back there every now and again and you know why though i i and i still don't put any mystic significance on that no it's not it's not it's curiosity it's it's not a pull yeah it it is it's a hit yeah i know i can have a paranormal experience if i go to this place and you have to learn like maybe that's i've got the itch and i know where to score yeah exactly 
Uh, all right. And uh, I see something about lights in the sky. Yeah. So Connecticut is not as milk toast as some people joke that it is. We also <laughs> have our own UFOs. And in the town of Winstead up in around what's called the quiet corner of the state, yeah, you get lights in the sky. And this was a very documented phenomena. I believe it started out during the 60s. If not, I can check out that old folklore book from the library again okay. and get the exact dates. It's actually probably in my notes somewhere, but digressing. We got lights in the sky, and there are sightings even up until this day that are replicated well enough that the odd night, plenty of hills up there, find a nice spot in the woods, camp out, make a snack, have a nice dinner, get the night vision and the binoculars trained on the sky, see if we see anything. Also, a great opportunity to pound pavement, go through the town, collect some local folklore. We, we always talk about the best sources of information or the folks that go, I don't believe in any of that stuff. But, but there, there was, was this one time. And you will get some of your best leads from these locals that really don't want to be bothered. But man, they ran into something they just can't really explain. This is something that comes up a lot of the time with Bigfoot, right? There are people, I have heard stories, uh, I know Emily Fleur told us this one example of there was a lead about a particular description of, of Sasquatch where it was in this one region, it was white. It was a white one. And now playing into, not to interrupt, but playing into the theory that this is a relic hominid, albinoism is not uncommon. Or, or like age. Or age. Or age, right. right? Or a winter coat. That's been things people talk about. But what was interesting is while looking into that, you know, someone's kind of mocking and like, ah, I never, you know, I don't believe in big, Bigfoot. But there was this one time I remember I was hunting and I saw a white gorilla. And it was like, okay, well, th does it occur to you that... You're in the woods of northeastern Vermont and you saw a gorilla? So, so there you go. It, it's... It's really interesting when you can get people who don't necessarily categorize what they saw is in the same bucket you're asking. Did you ever see a UFO? No, I never saw a flying saucer with little green men. Did you ever see lights in the sky? Oh, yeah, all something the time. very strange. Oh, yeah, you're talking about the, the old gas station lights. They're up here every Saturday. It, it is a... People have their folklore. That is what it is, by the way, folks. If you saw a Sasquatch, but you think it's a gorilla or a ghost... Congratulations, the folklore is it's a gorilla right. or a ghost. If you have the the old... There's that thing that looks like an old rain barrel above the Little Gem Diner in Syracuse. That's another story for another day. But Oh, you piqued my interest. Uh, uh, it's a funny story. But basically... Uh, if you if you see that and that's what you call it and you give it a name, that's the folklore. What is it actually? It might be something even stranger than you reckoned, but that's not the folklore of it. That's why we always say the observations, the important part, not their explanation. The story they attach to it doesn't now, matter. Don't get me wrong. We love collecting great stories from They're around important. the country. They are super important because that's what helps us wrap our heads around what we're seeing. But... Not knowing what you're looking at, it could make for a great story, very inaccurate as to what it is that it's you're looking at. It's when we think of the melon heads, right? When it, when we were at Downs Road, and we're gonna get into that in a little bit. We're gonna we're gonna quickly rehash kind of our, all our investigations we've talked about so far. But remember, the melon heads 
were a local curiosity that sure seems to line up with a lot of other folklore. And it's a story that sat with me since high school until when Ben and I really started getting into hunting down the paranormal and trying to learn more about it. And I go, hey, there's little goblin guys just chilling out around here. Mm-hmm. Let's go find the goblins. And we didn't even call them goblins. No, they at were the melonheads. Right, exactly. It it was that was the that was the crazy moment when we went, what if the melonheads are goblins? Yep. What if goblins, a different piece of folklore, is another thing? But what if they're all the same creature? They're just being very misinterpreted. Some passport to Magonia stuff right there, you know. It's... Subspecies, who the heck knows, man? So so some of the leads that I'm going to be looking at over the next year, uh, I've mentioned the Indian Link Project in the past. So it looks like the Indian Link Project is an alternate reality game online that someone made. Okay. It is still, wor- and I have reasons to believe that, I'm still going to keep following that lead because it's still something that has generated online folklore and ties into real world adventure. If someone built an alternate reality game, that lets you go to a physical place and find a hidden bunker. I have a theory that the game isn't over yet. So I, I'll ask you to jog my memory because I, I actually found this creepy pasta maybe even before I met you. And oh yeah, it's old. I I don't remember 100% of it. Did the guy post pictures? Yes, he did. So there might physically be something out there. Yes. So so I to get more into it would be getting into what the episode would right, be. Right, and we don't want to dig too deep. And we've got, yeah, it, my, it will my, get us so off topic. But My only finishing point would be, if you go out there, just for caution, I would like to come with you so that you're not going out there alone. It is, it honestly... It's, it's honestly probably nothing. To, it is nothing. I, I can say that. Yeah. It is nothing. Um, if I don't go alone, it's because... It's in the middle of nowhere in the Adirondack. Well, that would State be Park. the other reason I'd like to That's go with you. That's the reason. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily think we're going to find ourselves black bagged from what you've uncovered, but you're now doing some urban exploring in an old decrepit structure that's been abandoned for goodness knows how long. Oh, it's not urban exploring. Well, it is in the middle of <laughs> okay. the Adirondack Mountains. Wil- it is the opposite of urban exploring. <laughs> Wilderness exploring. Yes. That's that's the danger I, there. I don't want you finding a koi dog den down there and you're all by your lonesome. You know what I mean? Right. So uh, also Beardsley Castle, that's something I'm looking into. It, it has some fascinating history to it. Uh, it's in New York. During Christmas time, they do, they did at least a Charles Dickens murder mystery dinner. Well, that sounds wonderful. And it's also... Are you also, talking like Victorian frilly dress and everything? Yeah, and everything. Yes. And it's got, it's a hotel, it's a tavern, and the, the folklore around this place is just choice. And I would love to kind of commit in advance to next December trying to get just a group of people there that that, that it's just something I, i've been kind of thinking about and doing some sort of investigation with it oh count me in also while i'm looking at kind of destinations in my neck of the woods there's pine bush new york it is a town where they have a lot of diners that are ufo themed because they had a string in the 90s of ufo sightings. oh that recent and the funny story with pine bush the brief version is there was a paranormal investigator who was collecting stories in the area and that's how the town found out they lived in a weird town someone did what we want to do where we she talked to a town's worth of people to get all the weird stories 
And only when she published them did the, the other town people go, oh, all my neighbors saw this too? So this was literally an entire town's worth of people that just saw weird things and never talked about never it. Never talked about and it. And they didn't realize that it's not weird because the whole town sees it. Yes. That's crazy. It, in, in my opinion, that could happen in most towns. Uh, I... Yeah, I called it crazy, but I have a sneaking suspicion. That's common. No place is weirder than the other. That's the other thing. No place is weirder than any other place. Can I give a hot take? Give your hot take, please. The Astonishing Legends podcast talks about paranormal apathy and how in the wake of a paranormal event, you suddenly find yourself falling asleep with no problem, waking up and you're like, ah, it was weird. I don't want to talk about it. Yep. I don't think that's restricted to just ghosts and goblins. I think no. that that's any unexpected explainable event that stretches your brain past what it's prepared to comprehend i think it's the same way when you it's get devastating mechanism. when you get devastating news it's a coping mechanism you're able to you you fall asleep somehow i think i think that that is a huge part of it i've seen it happen it's happened to me so that that there there are times that i will see something incredibly strange and i have another person who witnesses it and I was watching, I was at a drive-in movie theater and there, this past summer, there was this blob, this blue blob thing that flew over the sky. It wasn't a spotlight. It wasn't any kind of ship. It didn't even have a defined shape. Just the weirdest looking Just thing. Just a giant orb in the sky. Not an orb, a blob. Oh, wow. It didn't have a, like a, a, a cohesive shape. It was shape. like purely amorphous. Yeah. Wow. And it, it was a blue green and it went through the sky northwards and i was like did you see that and my dad who is a he's open-minded uh, but he doesn't talk about that stuff all that much but he's like oh yeah i saw that i'm like do you do you have any idea what that was nope nope that sure was strange might be one of those uh those things you 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 look for and it was just that was like it and i and i brought it up later on. i'm like do you remember that thing we saw over the movie theater yeah okay and that doesn't <laughs> it didn't freak you out it didn't melt your brain I, I don't know how much of that's apathy or that's just your dad <laughs> i think it's the human experience i mean like there was a time we were in a plane and you and a friend oh, saw something pretty crazy coming back from the bat your bachelor party that's right we uh we saw we did we saw an unexplained blob of light in the sky and he looked over at me excitedly and he's like did, did we just see a ufo and I looked at him, and I'm like, I really think we did. And that's right. We looked over, and we told you about it. Yeah, because I, I I was in the aisle. You were busy enjoying your red wine and uh, Dr. Pepper. Leave me alone. <laughs> it's a slightly doctored up Kalamatsuko, which is the best cocktail. Anyways. Agree to disagree, but yes. So we told you about our experience. So, it, yeah, and, and I was just like, oh, hmm, yep, I bet. And I moved on and <laughs> forgot about it. That's right. And it came up in conversation later. And that's when we kind of came to the realization of like, oh God, did, did paranormal apathy just occur? Yeah, it's so weird because typically given like, hey, what what we do, you think I'd immediately had 65 follow-up questions That for was you. so counter to the usual curious excitement of like, what color was it? How big was it? How yeah. far do you think it was? No, and yeah. you were just like, yeah, that's cool, man. Yep, I bet. So, man, to be fair, I'd had a long weekend. It was a long weekend, a fun weekend. So Pine Bush, I'd like to go to the town. Uh, I have some theories about it. Chit Chitnango, New York, there is a stretch of road there that seems to fit the same bill of the 
a whiskey hollow road entity. Oh, we have same a new, thing. We have a new road weird. New road weird. Like yes. that's the thing. It's the same. It, the story matches. I, I say yes. Like it's not going to be terrifying. <laughs> it, it it's not as walkable, right? Like like whiskey hollow had parkable areas and had nature trails. The road that I'm looking at, I'm not going to give the location of it yet, but it, it will be harder to navigate, and it is very far away from anything where we can park and walk. Oh, shoot. So if, it's going to be like a park remotely and hike in. Probably. And, uh, oh, that might be a little more dangerous. Yeah, yeah. This, this one's going to be a little bit more advanced, but the story is the same thing, and I wonder if we can find and correlate the same events happening. Cars careening off the road, murders, suicides, cult activity. So two things that I know are are bigger projects to the both of us, which are bigger priorities. One is Bigfoot. Yes. So we are going to start... We've been dangling Sasquatch in front of our listeners for some time. Yeah, we're going to start start putting those out. Originally, it was going to be a 10-part series that was going to basically be all at once we're going to intermittently drop these but the goal is by the end of these 10 episodes we've strung together an argument where you might not believe in sasquatch but you'll recognize that it could be a thing and we are making an argument of how to consume the information that could be received on this topic and another reason for spacing it out so much, we will be on the ground looking for Bigfoot, and that is, uh, Bigfoot researchers have dedicated their lives to finding this creature and have not been successful. Yeah. And some of that's methods, some of it is the amount of ground they have to cover. This is not a small task, but and the we biggest, are just getting started. The biggest thing is the method. Like We yes. are not going to be the people who find Bigfoot because you and I do not have the time no. to do the approach that is required to find to be clear any animal that is a rare animal if you go looking for that animal we know there are wolves in yellowstone we'll have about the same amount of luck finding wolves in yellowstone as bigfoot given the amount of time we will likely have to devote to this search so so that's the thing there, there's there's photographers whose job it is is to photograph those wolves in yellowstone that's why i chose that example and they can be there for a year or two and they don't see a wolf they can go their whole career and never see a wolf and so that that's the problem is we're not going to be the ones to find Bigfoot, right? Uh, I just don't think that that's going to be the case. It's not our it's not our sole purpose in life. We just don't have the time and resources. Yeah. To... So so when we are on the ground looking for Bigfoot, the point won't be ju- like it's not just part of it. I mean, part of it is to say we did it. Well, but of course. A but... big part of it is to show what the methods and the appropriate methods are to again illustrate that when Bigfoot hunters are not approaching this the way you would look for an animal in the wilderness that is rare, if anything, they're guaranteeing they're not going to find it by driving it away from them. Right. The 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 the, the calls, the hooping, and the hollering, assuming this is a relict hominid, which we do, those hoops and hollers and calls mean something. And if you don't have that lexicon... You may have just ordered a tuna casserole. Well, also, even even beyond the the, the whooping, the number of people who go looking at once. Right. We are a group of apex predators, right? If five people, and this is, again, this is, I want to give credit where credit's due. Right now, at this point in time, I besides a few books that I've, I've read on the topic by certain authors that I, I'm going to 
go into those books when we do the episodes because I really want to get into them and give credit where credit's due. A lot of the theories that we're spouting are Emily Fleur's theories oh, from yes. the Forest Fleur. Uh, but one of the big arguments she makes is you cannot have a number of people Bigfoot hunting and they're all picking up sticks and hitting trees and screaming and then going, why don't we see the rare animal? Like, come on, guys. So yeah. you, you won't you won't find a squirrel that way. Never mind Bigfoot. But uh, as we will point out, there is enough evidence of this animal to warrant actual group effort of research in a scientific community it's time someone acknowledged the plausibility and took it seriously that's all so also um there is a going to be a follow-up for uh for the hessian village yes uh that one is something i we're going to be putting together that, that's kind of our mutual free space here on leads we've already got our our fun title for it though it's going to be dead hessians three the 80 year curse that's we're getting into some oak islands <laughs> <laughs> like I, I feel like we're just missing the cinematic brown note there um so all right so so th these are some of the things that we have for research i do want to also say in the year to come i do want to change up a few things for how we do haunt and gather it's something that's very very much a passion project for me is the homesteading I do feel like that is a vital piece of the puzzle of what we do that we have not yet had a chance to implement. Uh, gathering folklore of others, uh, we've been too busy talking about ours. Uh, homesteading, barely scratched that surface in any cohesive way. Adventure, I do feel like we've done a good job, like for example, with the Forest Fen Treasure Hunt. We're getting our hits in on the adventure front. We're, we're trying to encourage other people also, I hope, how they can go on these adventures and, and uh, find their unknown. I do really want to get into the homesteading. I want to be better about uh, our blog so that when we do our podcast episodes, we can tell listeners what's new on the blog and kind of have more of a, a place for them to go to. So in the vein of the blog, the articles, uh, you had talked a little bit about doing lore entries. Uh, I would also like to see us do videos. Yeah, videos is this one that we've both kind of grumbled about and wanted to put off because we know learning to be video creators, like, man, like, we're content creators technically, but we're right. not content creators. And starting to make videos and put them on Instagram and YouTube is a... Is a it's, it's a jump. It's a lifestyle change, too. Yeah. And we're ready to take the first steps to do it in a way that we're comfortable with with the balance of work and life and haunt and gather where we're going to be adding to our passions. It's not going to be an additional job that we have, but we're hoping that within two to three months, we have our first baby videos that we can put up somewhere. Like the blog, like the blog. So, so these are some, some things that we want to start adding to it. We don't know what haunt and gather is going to become. Right now, we just know that we have had some interesting stories. We've observed some interesting things. And we want to keep looking a little deeper. That's it right now. So I would love for us to actually look into what we've done so far. We, we've, we've had these different episodes. And we've started churning out some theories. So what I'd like to go is, of our six core episodes... Uh, five of them have been about paranormal stuff. 
So let's go through these and we'll, we'll kind of do a recap. And this time we'll do a little bit more theory then we'll move it a pretty good clip. Uh, and that's gonna be our review for year one. And then hopefully next year we'll have even more to talk about. Sound fair? Sounds good. All right, so uh, episode one was Road Weirds. Are you lost? <laughs> so that was Whiskey Hollow. All of our trips to Whiskey Hollow. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you some questions, Jack. Yeah, fire away. Uh, one of the things that we're gonna open with in each of these was what do we know happened? What is the, what is the strange thing that happened in episode one that you can't disprove, you can't take away? It was a crazy thing. So I like that a lot because our main method is separating the observation from the folk explanation. And I think that as we have our lexicon and you know our, our collection of the weird things that have happened to us, we could very easily fall victim into to folk explanation. So where was the magic? What was the magic that happened? I would say that the big, really can't dispute it, oh my god, what was that moment, uh, was watching that shadow in broad daylight float across the road and disappear. The shadow crossing the road is... It was right there in front of my face. I wasn't the only person to see it. Couldn't miss it. Yep. And there was really nothing to point to what that actually was. So I think we're gonna we're gonna go back to that moment. That's that's the that's the prestige, right? That is that is the, the moment the, the payoff of the magic. Uh, and so there's going to be what we know and what we think. We know that a shadow crossed the road. Yes. You saw it. And as we go through this, the only ones that I can say we know is when we directly sense something that defies all explanation explicitly experienced by you or me. So we know you saw a shadow cross the street. Undeniably. Undeniably. Now we're going to go into what we think happened. These are going to be the, the weird things that... The, the peripheral events, if you will. If there was a skeptic, no matter how crazy these things are, a They'd skeptic could a be like, it. well, it was probably just this. Which, by the way, is not disproving something. Eventually, your explanations to disprove something can become more unlikely than it was a shadow. Right. So, to that, to that end, um, we know you saw something cross the road. We think we saw... We both believe we saw a shadow poking its head out from behind the trees in the distance, looking at us. And, and this happened uh, multiple trees as we crossed the path. Yeah. We didn't see anything. We didn't hear anything that large moving around on the on the leaves. No, no, it mind was you. It pitch was, black. It was far enough away. Well, this was in the daytime. Yep. This was in the daytime. I mean, the shadow saw. was pitch black. Oh, right. The shadow was pitch black. Now, plausibly speaking, could it have been some person in a black hoodie with one of those, like, black faceless masks? Could be. Potentially. And moved be, like a ninja. It, it could have been a ninja. Could We could have been stalked by a ninja. Uh, could it have been a bear? I would say no. From the size at that distance and how it kind of moved, very unlikely. So Now, mind you, yeah. bears can move exceptionally very quietly. quietly. Yeah. Their feet are basically slippers. But that's a lot of mass. And while they can move quietly, they're not always that graceful. And it would be on its hind legs to be up that behind to hide behind a tree. It would have to be up on its hind legs. A starving bear on its hind legs. Or it would have had to have been a massive black bear that was just poking its head out. So here's why we say this is what we think, right? And we is, would have seen it out the other side of the tree. 
we here's why we say this is what we think. It could have been a guy stalking us in the woods. Unlikely, but when paired with what we know, Jack saw, I don't think there was a ninja in the woods and the shadow in the woods at the same time. Right. I think it was the shadow you saw that pairs very, it came from the direction where we saw the thing following us. And why did it move quietly? Well, it didn't make any move when it hovered across the road. Nope. Completely silent. So now what else? What else we got? Oh, the scream. There's a scream. Now, uh, we, we did talk before we recorded today. You pointed out could have been a fisher cat. Right. No fisher cats in that region. And that was the, uh, that was something I didn't know and was, uh, I'll, I'll acknowledge was a, a pretty quick elimination. Is it unheard of that an odd one might have made its way there? No. Could have been a coyote. Could have been. Didn't sound like any coyote Didn't I've ever like heard. A, and I, yeah, I know the sound of coyote pretty well. Uh, they, they uh, growing up, would sing me to sleep outside my window. Oh, same. Anytime I was out in the woods. So. And they don't go alone. I paired it with, I had heard the shriekings and screams and giggles of teenagers on the road when we were and up. That, that was what we thought. So so the scream was strange. Now the scream, can I can I be honest? The road weird to me isn't a ghost story. I don't think the road weird was ever a person. No. It's something it's feeding off of events that happened, I think. It's it's some kind of thing in a way that we don't understand. And I don't want to call it animal, because it's not an animal. No. It, it, that is not the same kingdom not, of... Not in, a, not in any conventional animal that we yeah. know of, you know? Yeah. Um, it's not an animal. It's not a plant. It's not a fungus. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't fit the current I don't know Darwinian file. What like. weird root of the tree it is. But it's a something, right? I The screen makes it a little too much of a ghost story. And I'm actually frustrated that that detail is there. Because yeah. the it's too poetic. So I, I, maybe I'm hoping, right? Because when we talk about what we think, is it possible there was a coyote or someone shouting and a shadow in the woods at the same time? Yes. Right. These two things could be there at the same time. The likelihood may be a little more suspect. And we also had that when we walked on the road, that moment we both turned around because there's that, that feeling. Yes. That breath. So it, that one to me is very weird. Because both of okay, so let's let's take the what we know portion of this, right? Mm-hmm. As we were walking up the middle of the road in the dark, away from our car to check on the kids that were no longer there, we both experienced a puff of air in our faces that seemed to be moving counter to how the wind was blowing and felt warmer than the air around it. Would you say that's accurate? Yes. All right. What was it? Objection! Couldn't it be? <laughs> This just has some very Ace Attorney. Uh, I'm playing. I'm playing those games right now. It has a very <laughs> Ace Attorney energy to it. <laughs> and that's not me, like saying it must be a paranormal breath. It's. I'm genuinely Here, asking. Go. Go through. Your, say your explanation again. Okay. So we both. Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what I'm thinking: is the only pause against breath that I have is that we both felt it while walking side by side. Right. And Breaths don't usually work that way. No, it would have been in your face or in my face. So it, it was something, so it wouldn't have been something breathing, which makes sense because I don't think that thing has lungs, no. right? So 
it was some kind of weird burst of air ethereal whooshing as lynch would put it but um it did seem to have some kind of significance but at the same time of all the sensations it's the weakest because we were also pretty spooked right we were pretty shaken up at that point you wanted to keep going i was ready to hightail it all of my red flags had long since gone off so that that feeling which could have been a a, and it wasn't a change in air pressure because again none of the trees were moving it was so still right it was a weird it was a weird sensation it, it felt like a bad feeling that was also kind of warm passed on us i don't know if that was the it, there was a little bit of that uncanniness too right where on on an automatic level we both kind of realized that what just hit us didn't mesh with the environment around us so the strongest pieces it, it of felt evidence out of place the strongest pieces of evidence that we have are that you saw a thing cross the road that is not a thing as we understand things to be. You it, saw a shadow a, fly across a the road. humanoid black mass. And we also saw a humanoid black mass watch us from the trees as we walked around yep. during the daytime. So it. what I like is that those two observable things happened the day after we had the scream and the ethereal whooshing, right? Right after we had we the... We need a new name for that. No. I'm locked in. And so we had the these 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 feelings, right? When I said, are you lost during the EVP session? I was actually meaning to ask you about the EVP. Okay. I don't recall, I don't think you ever, I don't think I ever listened to that part of the EVP. You deleted it. I played it in the car when we, like, as soon as we were still on Whiskey Hollow, I believe. And, right. And we were driving I, to the corner. I, I will when... tell you, I was not focused on that. I was driving. When we were driving to the corner, I was playing the EVP. When I asked the question, there's background noise, right? Because right. I'm still recording in the woods. I was frightened enough where I imagined there was enough of a sound. I didn't hear anything. And this is, I want to be clear. I did not hear anything. My fear was, and the choice that I made is, am I going to be the kind of person who plugs us into a computer, learns how to you know sound at it sound at it and and find if am i going to dig for this or can i let it go and in that moment i chose to let it go i would say personal growth wise healthy good choice yeah it it was it was a choice that i made that then affected how i'm going to approach that moving forward it the the what i think doesn't come from deleting it or what i heard when i played it it was from what i felt when i asked it when I said, are you lost? Of all the questions asked, were you murdered? Are you a ghost? It was when I said, are you lost? That it got real. Yeah. I, I got a bad feeling. That's what I think. That, I think I got a bad feeling. That did seem to be the first time that the alarm bells were going off for you. I was shaken probably about 15 minutes prior to that. That's fair. So so th- this is it. Is This is why we're, we're breaking it up this way. Uh, folks listening is... A lot of uh, uh, when we tell the story to be consumed as an entertaining story, we're going to draw more attention to these narrative beats. We asked the question, the ghost was there, we heard the scream, we felt the breath. But when we actually want to look at it, trying to get to a source of what's happening, and this is when we coined the term road weirds, that there's these shadows on the sides of roads or nearby that might prey upon drivers, uh, that, that, that theory... 
it, it occurs to me, we never really got into why we call it Road Weirds with maybe a couple other stories, but we'll get back to them. Um, what we actually have is that we saw a shadow cross the road and we know that it also followed us because we saw the shadow afterwards. And we know it was following us. That was the thing poking out behind the trees. So that's that's what we have. That, that's our reduction of episode one. There was a shadow following us through the trees. It then lets us look at all these other things or the fact that we had a friend get sick afterwards, right? So I think that that's something to keep in mind. That's our Road Weirds one. There is a shadow in the woods. It seems to not be the road that was haunted. It's definitely where it was the most active. It follows you in the woods. It ambushes you at that point on your way out. That seems to always be what happened. That seems to be the pattern. Yeah, that, that seems to be the playbook. And it was not it was not the only place we observed that. Which brings us to dead Hessians. So the Hessian village, we have a little bit more of what we know. This is where it gets fun because, we're, well, I'll leave out the other stuff till dead Hessians too, but with dead Hessians, what do we know? As far as what was physically experienced, regardless of lore? Yeah, yep, same, same as before. What is that magic? What's the moment? That would have been our. That would have been our first trip out there. It was no, the lights. Yeah, it was the lights. Yeah, yeah, it was the orbs. Yeah, can't can't leave them baited that long. It was the lights. It was the orbs that we saw. It was amazing. It, it was unlike anything I think I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And who the heck knows? Maybe we'll ever see again. And it's also important to tie the other what we know, which is that you saw, a boot and white pants and a green coat silhouetted in mist in the past yes so those are the two what we knows you saw what looked like a hessian soldier yep in the past and we saw lights yes those are the two pieces of evidence that we have everything else is up for argument including was it actually a hessian we don't know couldn't tell you we only know that you saw years ago that part of one and we know that we saw orbs right and Boy, the impactful doesn't begin to describe it. When we first left the Hessian village, and there's not even a lot of what we think, right? The what we think is that it reacted to us when we said, what if it's not Hessians? We think it didn't like that we said that. We think that we were gently kind of pushed out. We think that a massive gust of wind and the feeling that something big was coming was coming to either drive us off or attack us. So those are the narrative beats when we told you the story, folks. Those are as we perceived them, but a skeptic wouldn't pay attention to those moments in the story. They, they did happen to us. They tell a great story. The thing that can't be reduced, though, is that we were seeing orbs floating around us. Yeah, that was... They weren't in the distance. They weren't strange lights beyond the trees. They were just moving through the clearings in the trees, plain as day. And they followed yeah. us until the edge of the tree line where they stopped. Yeah, red lights, floating red lights in the woods, in the winter. 
heat hazing their way between the trees. Yeah, that's... And when we got out of the woods, we looked back, we saw them, and it did, again, we... It could have been we spooked ourselves, but all of us drew our, like, knives at the same time when we got that bad feeling after we said, what if it's not the Hessians, right? So, but, but that's us creating the folklore. Right. So, so with Dead Hessians 1... We now have two things that we take with us on our investigations. We've got uh, at Whiskey Hollow, we saw a shadow cross the Jack saw a shadow cross the road. I believe I saw a shadow because it corroborates also with what Jack saw. We have in Connecticut, there are red lights in the woods. Yep. Okay, so we got two weird things. Melon heads, right? It's a lot harder to pin down what we know. Downs Road on in, that one is so frustrating because it felt the most mystically significant. The only thing we know is that a a guy in a black truck accosted us afterwards and demanded to ask if we saw anything strange yeah. that evening. He asked really pointed questions. That's the only thing we know. And that was arguably the creepiest part of the whole endeavor. Yeah, that that was the part that definitely happened as we perceived it. We think that I I felt a pull towards a part of the woods. Yep. One of our friends felt the compulsion, or believed they felt the compulsion, to pick up a, a weirdly perfectly shaped rock sitting in the bowl of another rock. We think we heard bell sounds and whispers. And two of our party think that they saw a woman in a white dress ethereally appear behind you. And we think the out-of-place concentric circles of plant anomaly could have been what are called fairy circles. Those are the things we think. What we know is that there was a guy in a truck. So, frustratingly enough, Downs Road was the most wonderful, yet we kind of walk away with it with nothing. Right. More questions than answers. And it could be that nothing happened. Right. It could have all been in our heads, in which case, man, what a great adventure. It was a, yeah. At the very least, if you ever go out looking for an adventure and you have a day like we did at Downs Road, you're having a wonderful life. Right. What a great adventure to have. And what a cool story. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's the thing. So up to this point in time, we're still at two points. Shadow Man on Road. Red Lights in the Woods. Yep. All right, so that brings us to Dead Hessians 2, Dark and Stormy. This is where it gets really cool, because what do we know? We know that my brother witnessed something on night vision that was a humanoid shadowy silhouette that disappeared the moment he focused on it. He's looking into the woods with night vision. It thinks it can't. he can't see it. He stares at it long enough that it realizes, wait a minute, He's looking right at me. And it vanishes from bottom to top. Yep. Doesn't blend into the tree. Right. From bottom to it's top. It's not dissipating like the, the shadow at Whiskey Hollow. That one kind of disappeared from all angles. No, this is a very... And he, he recorded it in his notebook at the time. Bless the kid. He kept his calm. But mm-hmm. yeah, very clear. Starts dissipating from the bottom up to the top. And it wasn't a fast occurrence. It's really significant because when matt uses his night vision he notes the what is it called phosphorus fairies yeah yeah he calls them uh the units of photonus he calls them photonus fairies photonus and fairies. I've, I've experienced that as well 
you'll be looking through the night vision optic and you'll see what look like little dancing lights. It's not digital, so they're not really pixels, but you'll see these little almost dancing lights that flicker on the screen. He, he's no slouch with this, and he knows what to disregard as a trick of the eye and what you can lock in as this is happening in front of me. Yep. He saw that thing disappear. He had a beat on the tree line. He continued to observe that tree line. There was a thing there that vanished from bottom to top. Which is, if, if it vanished like sideways, I'd be like, it, it something went Right, you've got swaying in the wind, but it was moving very counter to what you would perceive as a natural movement in nature. So, this is interesting. Because suddenly, it caused us to look back at our time sitting in the quote-unquote Hessian village. Which is, hey, the whole time. What happened to us the last year happened on the way in. It was actually to the yeah. left because we couldn't find the Hessian village. <laughs> we had a lot of time to theorycraft up there because nothing was going on. Nothing was going on. Uh, I, I think I saw a flash of light, but I think that was like my eyes doing something weird. Yeah, same. Nothing we could really verify. It was kind of a blue-green maybe orb in the woods. Could have been something we were seeing past the horizon Could have been a light line. in the distance. And Hard we, to tell. We have to admit that. It is like... Now, we even got so far as to... My prior experiences way, way back in the day, mm -hmm. and I had to look back and recount every time on one of those little trips, we made it up to the village, nothing happened at the village. It almost felt weirdly like safe and calm, and the only time we were compelled to get out and leave was when someone's anxiety or fear was like, I want to get out. I want to get back. What's really fun is, and this is why there is going to be the follow-up, is we've we have talked with someone else who's familiar with the Hessian village area. There's also a, an historian, a local historian that yeah. uh, has done some research on it. And when I kind of gave the theory of there is something there, but it's not in the village. It's actually from the side. She was like, of course. Yeah. yeah it was, that, an, it was immediate. Yep. You're right. Yep. That, that does seem to be what it is because, and she had her own litany of, of stories and experiences. So, hey, suddenly we've got the shadow that watches you from behind trees. Right. And we have unexplained phenomena, lights in the woods, and now multi-generational agreement that every time people have encountered this incident, it hasn't been up in the village. It's been out in the woods. It's been on the path. People say it's affiliated with the village. It's not. Because we want to point to the historically significant thing that triggered it. Right. There's weird stuff on my street. And everyone says it's because there was a, a battle from the French and Indian War that happened down the street. And they even know what corner it happened at. So a lot of uh, folklore, uh, those who gather folk folklorists, there we go, and you know paranormal investigators put these significance on the battle. It wasn't. That's just the spot on the map where we have the tragedy we want to point out. Everyone wants a nice, clean narrative arc to wrap weird events up in with a bow. Folklore gives us control to define the unknown. Right. It it makes the monsters more comprehensible, and we don't feel quite as scared that way. The same way that a lot of monsters in the wilderness that we we have tagged and bagged, we give a Latin name to, and suddenly it's not a monster anymore. Right. It's an animal. We've discovered it. Yeah. There you go. I mean, look at the things under the ocean, in the deep the deep ocean. Look at the 
amazing exotic creatures that exist there out in the world and what horrifying things they're capable of doing. We live in a world of monsters, but once we create stories in, in definitions of them, it we becomes more normal. We feel we understand them, or at least they're more present in daily life and familiarity makes, makes you not so scared. Calling a creature its taxonomical name is just a formalized version of folklore. Yeah. You know, it, it is a it is a common language with which we're going to understand this thing. Um, now, it's folklore about a observable thing, but it is a story, and we understand it more. And we do that with history. History, oftentimes, is not perfect. It's not perfectly cataloged. It becomes a part of folklore. It's revised all the time. And there's even some things in your everyday life where you go, hold on, I know this about either like how money works or this company or this route you drive on the way to the gas station. You go, is that, I can't remember, is that real or did we all just decide that's a thing? Folklore. It's everywhere. And in this case, when you're looking at weird stuff, folklore runs rampant because it's all we have. Right. So people have these stories. And the thing about the dead Hessians, you know, with, with the Hessian villages, we told one hell of a story over so many generations. A theory begins to emerge with these observations. Shadows crossing the street, orbs in the woods. We go back to the woods where there's the orbs and we find another shadow that accosts you from the side. It watches you and eventually... It does, Boom. yeah, does a thing. It jumps out. And I think that has to do with feeding of some some sort. It gets something out of it. I right. don't know. But not not like the suck your blood kind of, you know, vampiric. There, there's something different going on but there. isn't it crazy? We had these two completely disparate investigations that both end up with, well, we thought place A was haunted, but there's actually a shadow in place B that kind of catches you on your way to place A and weird happens. Very interesting. I also kind of have, have noticed that this aligns with a lot of just the other stories that we're constantly hearing or consuming. There seems to be something weird about shadows. They, they're all over the place, but they seem to share a playbook. And one of the big playbooks is why do they peek out from behind things so often when people talk about them? My theory is, in order to see, it's light, right? It's light hitting a, a, a thing. Right. I, light is hitting inside of your eyes and sending a signal to your brain. And what you're seeing there is a void, something that that light can't pass through. So if the whole point of why these shadowy things are see-through or not fully there is because they're not fully here. Well, how does that affect light particles, right? They seem to need to peek out from behind things because when they see you, you they, can see them. they need to be visible somehow. Same with like when they move through physical space, it seems like they're more visible when they're moving. And they interact around, like they move around objects. You don't see them necessarily passing through things. They're always moving. And this goes for haunted houses where you see them too. Yep. They seem to be moving upstairs they're moving through doorways. Yes. You never see them go through a wall. Yeah, so we're going to get into residuals. Residual hauntings are the things that go through objects. These things seem to really be bound by three-dimensional space. When they're visible. 
and need to yeah we don't know what we do when they get what they do when we can't see them and it really seems like they need to be visible when they're looking at you that's why they're either sitting in the darkness oh crap i think he can see me he's been staring at me time to phase out or they need to poke up from behind a tree because it's daylight but they're watching us and they don't want to be horribly visible because i can tell you from a lot of experience what color stands out best in a woodland setting no matter what time of year? A black and a lot of it. That's what I'm fascinated by. So that that's the it it's not a lot, but that's the thing that we've definitely sunk our teeth into. That is the piece of weird that after looking at this that we really can say is a thing that we have fished out of the unknown that we're very confident about. There are shadows out in the woods and it seems like it is significant when they're able to see you, you can see them, and there's a pattern to that. I'll tell you what, I find that very, very encouraging when it comes to observation and data collection because it means that it's something that we can observe, which means we can collect data, and we can at least observe there. But I, I don't know of any scenario where a shadow is out there and it's visible and it's not aware of a person's presence. But wouldn't that be flipping cool to be able to observe one without it seeing you and just see what it does? Where a shadow, okay, so a shadow is not aware of the person. Interesting. I, I think I have seen, I've seen alleged footage of that, but I never trust the footage. Right. And Anything that, that it, came online, I, I don't. Brief aside, the most discouraging thing about the advancement of video editing technology in this day and age, the profusion of AI, what have you, it is so easy to fake something. Especially things that look by nature harder to define. Right. You know, it's the, it's the running joke of like, man, why did everybody break out the 1970s camcorders when it came time to record the UFO, you know? Well, and it's so frustrating because things are either, you know decried is too grainy yep or too good or exactly or it's too high def yeah like there's some magic middle ground that if you hit that right. it's the goldilocks zone of validity right and, and what's magical about the goldilocks zone of validity i love that is it doesn't exist no any it's skeptic can choose which side of that they stand on and on every individual basis and it's arbitrary and i guarantee nothing against you skeptics everybody is entitled to their own opinions and beliefs but Nothing will ever be good enough for that person. Well, that's why, I mean, one thing that I've taken to heart is I'm no longer trying to prove to skeptics that no. this is real. I think it's such a waste of time because it's not how any research in anything works, you, right? You, you can't pry open a closed mind. There are, I will say this, many issues that are relevant to today's day and age where the reason why we're not working on solutions or development is because we're too busy trying to win a debate yes where other people say well i don't think this is a thing and it, it goes towards anything you can imagine with research right anything you take for granted imagine if instead of developing the solution we first had to convince everyone to get on the same page imagine if to make a vaccine for covid we first had to convince every denier of the pandemic that right. it was real one person can veto the whole process. You need them all. Right. So so I, I see this when we're talking about the paranormal is the phase one of investigating is 
is investigating for the sake of trophies. A lot of investigators who quote unquote investigate and go to haunted houses want to bring themselves trophies. Right. Because they, in moments of doubt, can look at the photograph and go, look at what I got. I know this was what I saw. And what, what spurs that is an assumption that we, before we really started this as a formal endeavor, accepted that we will have to make before we can do anything with an ounce of seriousness or credibility. And that is the assumption that the paranormal exists. You know, are these things, you know, generically at the time it was, are ghosts real? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, good. That's out of the way. Now how do we research them? So, I mean, kind of a separate point, which is, that's phase three, right? Yes. Phase one is I do paranormal investigations for myself in a way where I just want to collect proof. I want to experience it. Yeah. And so you, you said it best, collecting trophies. You go to someone's house and they're saying, we're having these paranormal problems. Yep. And the most they do is go, yep, your house is haunted because I got this really cool recording. Listen to this. Right? Yeah, right. What does that EVP do to help the people? They're not to, you know, decry very entertaining television. But when these paranormal shows go out to this house and it's the family reached out to us for help, you went in, you set up the cameras, you maybe caught something cool on footage or on audio, but like, okay, now you've left. You've royally stirred the pot. Yep. It makes it makes life a lot harder, supposedly, for people after there's an investigator who stirs up that pot. So what really, how did you help these people? Which brings us to phase two. The people who claim that they do investigations to prove, as these shows do, to prove the existence of the paranormal. Phase two is, I'm not doing it for myself. I'm doing it to prove to the skeptics that it's real. Right. I'm going to gather enough evidence, the footage in the Goldilocks zone. Of validity. Of validity. And I'm, thank you. And I'm going to, I'm going to show it to them and they're going to go. And, and they're. My eyes are open. Big skeptic, strong skeptic, tears in his eyes. And he said, I never believed. <laughs> <laughs> you know and, and and that'll show them and they're gonna they're gonna make a parade and they're gonna laud me and, the, and they're gonna it's gonna now, be a ticker tape parade it's i i have to say from from a content creation standpoint that's perfect because you will never collect enough evidence to convince a skeptic so it's a goalpost you'll never reach yep. which means you have infinite material because to make a show already, out of they already know that it can't be real and then they'll say things like uh, well, you realize that, um, uh, what, what's the quote? Like, unbelievable, uh, fantastical, uh, fantastical, help me out here. I, I'm, I'm stonewalled on this, man. I'm going to sing it. Fantastical claims yep. deserve, extreme claims deserve extreme proof evidence. Something like that. But yeah, it, the outlandishness of your claim deserves a proportional amount of evidence before I'll concede that it's real. I'm really mad that you said it that quickly, that well. I'm I'm sorry. That's okay. I forgive <laughs> you. So, <laughs> phase three is kind of where I want to be playing from, which is... All right. All those haters out there. Here's the thing. I'm not doing it for them anymore. I want to get to a point of proof where among investigators we can have the conversation of we know it worked we know it's real how does it work right we we know this thing is out there how do we find it proving its existence is a step that we need to move beyond understanding it is the next one and then i think proof naturally flows from that right absolutely because if, in if you're doing it right mm -hmm. 
and you're exercising good research methods, and you are truly onto something, which I believe we all agree, everyone listening to this podcast, us making it, we agree that there is something unexplained out there to one degree or another. Proof is a byproduct of good research. And for many people, they're going to have to see it, right? right. You will note and I, that the two things we know... I respect that. I was exceptionally skeptical. The only thing that really convinced me was having it basically slap me across the face. So that's, to my point, it is not insignificant that the two thing, the two, three things that we know happened are because we directly observed them in the field uh, at one point in broad daylight and the other time because it glowed in the dark. Right. Right. It needs to be a very explicit thing. Most of the paranormal you experience is a whisper or a creak or a door. And it, it's All like... All things you can that, explain away. Was that anything? Did the door slam because the window was open? Was it a gust of wind in a drafty old house? And it doesn't make it not real. No. But it makes it possibly not real. And when so many people say then it's not worth our time because it's not real, well, it really does kind of make you think. So everyone is kind of fishing for that coming to Jesus moment where they see something and go, yeah. Oh my God, they're real. And what's really frustrating is, as we talked about, that um, that ennui that ensues when you see something crazy. Yep, then comes the paranormal apathy. It Because it's real. But that doesn't consistently hit though. It, it, it with, might with, not. With a good deal of regularity, but it's, what's significant is when you see the unbelievable you're already hardwired to not believe it first of all right so the you, amount of people who've had paranormal experiences and say it was my eyes playing tricks on me right they just often rebelled against it how often do your eyes play tricks on you ma'am yeah right like how how often are you seeing things is it cataracts is it glaucoma like and does it usually interact with other things and feelings happening in the time should you be driving home <laughs> uh the amount of times two people saw something and they go that oh, well, couldn't be anything. That couldn't be anything. Or it was a group hallucination. One of my favorites. Oh, I hate mass hallucinations. Mass hallucinations. Because also, like, that's crazier. Yeah. What was in the air? Did we take air samples? Did we take toxicology samples from the people? And see the same thing at the same time? Are right. we telepathic? That feels weirder. Ooh, don't like that. Yeah. That feels weirder than just me seeing what looked like a pterodactyl, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I don't know. It kind of feels like the big bird made more sense. Yep. Um, so... But to, to that end, maybe they misinterpreted what they saw, but that really doesn't negate what they saw. And again, they saw something. The hunter saw the big white gorilla. Yep. Because that makes more sense to them than Sasquatch. Well, right, Ben. It's obviously the skunk ape. <laughs> it's so frustrating because you're right. And there's people who argue about it. Oh, Bigfoot isn't in this region. Here we got the old man of, of Steam Mountain. It's a Rougarou, you know? Yeah, it's like, God, God. It, oh, Dogman's a whole other topic. Oh, boy. The day's coming, Dogman. <laughs> and I'm not talking about all the time I've wasted watching Amazon Prime documentaries on you that spend more time weirdly not talking about Osiris. Oh, my God. That was awful. I that's Anubis. Another, Anubis. Yeah, it was Anubis, but another story for another time. That's, oh, God. Okay, so uh, that is our year so far. We walked away with weird shadows in the woods and some lights in the trees that are enough to encourage us to keep looking. 
Right. Powder Ridge, by the way. Okay, uh, so Powder Ridge, there really wasn't a lot that we heard or saw. Right. Well, you had the giggling, right? I did. I heard a giggle. Okay. Where was that? So that was coming up the path right around the point called the chapel. Objection! Isn't it true that that's where there were Halloween decorations? So yes, there were Halloween decorations there. The sound effects they were playing was more whispering and screaming, not giggling. Couldn't it be said that something along the way malfunctioned? It's possible, but again, the sound effects that that particular part of the attraction that you walked through mm -hmm. made was not childish giggling. Did it come from... Here's the other thing, though. Like, if they've got different sound systems in place... Right. The direction you heard the sound from, was, would there be a sound system back there? No. It was pointed toward the open stretch of field that the ski lift went up. Okay, and it was by an like a porta potty, potty right? Yep. Okay, so that's Maybe. the thing. It, it doesn't seem like that was... And okay. you heard the whistle. So the whistle's a different anomaly. The giggle also came from closer than the porta potty Okay. It was it was like with us in the woods, proximity-wise. The giggle, I'm... The... Is a think. I have to say it's a think because... So I, I will chalk it up as a think because while I'm confident it wouldn't have been the decorations or the sound system, we were in a very large group about 12 people strong could have been somebody i yeah as long as as long as there's a our senses were not shocked by how explicit the event was i gotta i gotta chalk it up to i think also something that was very personal to me right was was the hitchhiker effect shatter at home when we got on the mountain and i got the call from my wife right it's now, a think that it is a think and the only thing that makes me lean pardon me, away from coincidence, is the fact that there was no smoking gun. Where's the glass? So that, that is it. We never found the glass. The timing is incredible. There's a precedent for this phenomenon. It's a lot of really that, uncanny coincidences. Which is why I really think. That, so I want to be clear. When I, I'm not discrediting any of these things. I do think you heard a giggle. That was no, paranormal. No, but we have to devil's advocate yeah. this, and we need to... I certainly think you heard a giggle. Uh, I do think that the whistle correlated with your EMF readings... And I do think that we experienced the hitchhiker effect, uh, Carly and I, at the same time. But to your point, we think. There, there are things that happen to us and will affect us in the future. But I also understand if a listener is not going to have their world rocked by what we said. Oh, they're fully free to be skeptical the about only this. only things up to this point in time that we're really like, listen, guys. Hey. Is those shadows we saw and the and lights, the lights we in saw. the woods. That's kind of what we got. The whistle in the woods, you know, coming back and doing the EMF sweep. That could have been someone messing with me. You know, that was over by a shop. There yeah. are groundskeepers and there are folks that do, I mean, no snow tending that time of year, but it it very well could have been a person in the woods who was familiar with what we were doing and waved off of it and then went into the woods to mess with us. One of the stories of the Hessian village involved two people that did just that to a group going up there. Yeah. I, I really think that there is something to be said for... We never want to just pat ourselves on the back and say we found it. Right. I'm willing to play devil's advocate because I don't want to be a fool. No. And I have I have experiences that can't get knocked out. They're not proof I can show to people, 
But at least what I have to take with me that I can't refute is that I saw lights in the woods. Yep. I saw lights in the woods and I saw a shadow cross the road in broad daylight that just should never have been there. Th those things can't be taken away. And they're kind of what allows us to keep faith and ask questions. We know that there's some strange stuff out there. And we know also that the strange is not anything that can be explained along an avenue that so far we've developed with folklore. And if I can actually make a note against discouragement, one thing that I sort of realized as we were discussing all of this, we've been at this for a little over a year now. And for concrete things that we know, for all of our investigations, we have one instance of a shadow crossing the road and one instance of lights in the woods. These are not easy to observe. It takes a lot of getting boots on the ground, a lot of effort, a lot of research, a lot of time and commitment in getting out there to even see the few things that we have that we can confirm are not really explainable. And then the whole smattering of things that we admit are up for debate. I couldn't have put it better. That's fantastic. I also zoned out halfway through what you said. But <laughs> it really sounded really good. Thanks. Thank you. I'm going to take it on faith, uh, segue, uh. that what you said made sense. Because it looked like you were on a roll, and I don't want to make you re-record it. I really appreciate that. So I don't think I'd remember what I just said. <laughs> so uh, I, I want to say going forward, folks, we're taking these lessons and we're going to be applying them in some new ways. Uh, one thing that we're going to start doing is sort of a, an academic approach, uh, sort of a 101 to the paranormal. We drop a lot of terms on this podcast and we're sitting on a lot of things that we don't want to reference without being ready to cite the source, name the author. So we have to vaguely talk about things we know of. I want to change that. And one way we can do that is to up our up our research game where we have our bibliography when we record. I think another way we can do that is to make mini episodes. Um, I'm calling them kind of the, the dark academia series because it's a phase. And... What I'm hoping to do is, is give you, you know, 15 minutes, 10 minutes, just saying, okay, here's a, here's a type of paranormal activity that you might have heard about or you might run across on your, on, your, on your travels. Here's our definition of it, and here's our thoughts on it. And over time, this will kind of show you the framework we're working with and, and possibly help you build yours as you might find the spots you agree with us and disagree with us. In addition, uh, we are going to be exploring a theme in the next year. With the exception of anything we do on Bigfoot, which is very much a standalone, that one we have the answer for. We're, we're, we really are calling the shot. We know what this thing is, and we're going to hope, hope to get you on board with the theory. It's a relatominid. There's nothing paranormal about Sasquatch. It is real. But, but the bright side is, that means it's out there. It's out there and it's an animal. One day, it will be found. And we will give it its taxonomy and, and it will cease to be a cryptid. It's going to be just an animal. And it'll be just another footnote in history alongside like silverback gorillas that people joked and joked and joked that it wasn't real until it was discovered. Yeah. One day, one generation, people are going to look back and can't believe that, that we used to doubt its existence. Yeah, it, that's our opinion. 
uh, we're going to make an argument to back our opinion. Everything else, the more weird stuff in the adventures we do, uh, our theme, uh, as we said before, is liminality. We're going to be playing with that a lot. Kind of the theory that we have when we look at the high strangeness and the things that we've experienced. Anytime we really have, have gone into a place because we're told it's haunted, it's not guaranteed we have any kind of experience. You're playing the lottery. It, right. In fact, I would say that a fair percentage of our investigations, we find nothing at all. But that doesn't mean that we dismiss the activity. It's just the lottery. Yep. And instead, it seems like anytime we step into the wilderness or in a unfamiliar place, and we step out with an open mind saying, let's see what's strange here. Those are the times that we find something. Whiskey Hollow was a great lead. The Hessian Village was a great lead, and Downs Road was a great lead. I can't dismiss that the spots that were significant had great leads. They weren't tourist traps by no. any means. That is the, the other thing. These are not curated paranormal experiences. That's the lottery. In the case of Whiskey Hollow, it was our last dejected suggestion that you got from your dentist. Yeah. It, it honestly was the the one that the local said should have known better, right? But it, it was we were young. So we were young. We we were busy looking at what came up on on all the websites where you can get the map of all the spooky ghosts and, uh, yeah, it, it, it's something where we have always gone in with an open mind into the wilderness, into forgotten places, seeking something strange, not necessarily paranormal. But my God, have we had a wonderful time stepping into those places. So we're going to be weaponizing it in the year to come in a couple ways. Uh, the first test was Randonautica. Let's use an algorithm to go into a truly random location and see what we find. Nothing mystical. No, but man, just enough uncanny that I want to do it again. Yeah, it, it was just fun. It was a great way to explore and toss you out of your comfort zone. Um, there is one that is kind of the... The white whale, it's going to take over a year to do. I'm going to start researching it. Um, and it's called year walking. This is going to be something I'm hoping to do by next New Year's Day. Uh, Jack, I think you're you're on board too. I am on board. I, I'm swaying between cautious and eh, I'll be fine. The it, it is a it is a old folk custom. Uh, and a, a strange piece of folk magic where uh, essentially on New Year's at midnight, if you step out into the wilderness, you do not laugh, you do not scream, you no do not say noise. a word, you cannot speak, and you go seeking uh, wisdom. Uh, you will go on a journey in the in-between times, between two years, on a strange walk, your year walk, and you will run into paranormal beings that will try to frighten you or even make you laugh. Or Break the spell, so to speak. Uh, you'll be tempted to give up. You'll be tempted to talk. And along the way back, you will enter into this liminal space of both time and space. And you will see things. And you'll see omens importance. It's a fascinating custom. Absolutely fascinating custom. So we're hoping next New Year's to try that out, potentially. It might be it might be in two years. It might be next year. It is on the to-do list. We have to choose when we do it. 
uh, we also need to do a little bit more research about the do's, the don'ts, the different customs, because yeah. there's some really weird, conflicting versions of this, right? Yeah, so the plan is I'm going to start looking up the different folk customs. This is going to be the biggest piece of research uh, for this podcast that is going to be more scholarly in nature. I'm going to be cross-referencing the legends, and then the goal is when you've got six different rituals on how to do something, the answer is to find what you like in all six and make a seventh. So uh, Haunt and Gather will be creating the uh, American year walking lore. And uh, it's what's going to work for us. We're going to publish the rules. We're going to encourage others to try it. We technically almost year walked when we first went to the Hessian village and saw the lights because... Oh, we did, didn't we? Yes, we went between December and New Year's. Which is really the, that's the, the, the consensus window that... Yeah, I'm sorry, between Christmas and New Year's. Yep. Um, we, we did talk on the way, but it's specifically you're supposed to wander from your safe place through the woods to a burial ground or a kirkyard or a church, you know, whatever the term is, you look through the keyhole. It's a whole thing. But um, we did step into the forest to a place where... Uh, we understood that uh, those who had died were were waiting, uh, which is kind of the first part of it. And then you see a portent, or you you cross into the the realm beyond, and oh, then we saw the orbs. Mm -hmm. uh, so technically, we kind of sort of did one. Yeah, and not even doing it by the book or per the prescribed ritual, we that's when we saw the lights. We had some fantastic yep. success. So so knowing that we kind of almost sort of did this thing and had results, it might be interesting to once again uh, give it a try more formally and really test ourselves and then document it. Uh, so, so yeah, over this next year, folks, we, we've got a couple things lined up. We have our leads. We also have some stories from our investigations past still to talk about. Um, we're looking forward to sharing those as well. But I, I think that's enough for now. I think there's some uh, I think there's some eggnog waiting to be enjoyed. There's some eggnog, and then later on we're going to record You Will Might Sour for Ghosts 2023. I don't know if we are going to release that before or after this. We also haven't written anything for it yet. It'll be fine. That'll be great. Stay tuned. All right. Take care, folks, and have a great Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. Haunt and Gather, a paranormal podcast exploring the new American folklore in the great outdoors is written and produced by Jack Krisky and Benjamin Begensky. Our theme song, Into the Red Light, is used with permission and performed by Beezus Taylor and the Funeral Party. You can check out her album, The Ghost Hunter's Handbook, on YouTube and Spotify. 